There are a ton of tie-ins and side. Uh oh, you froze for me, Ryan. <laughs> there are a ton of tie-ins. Oh yeah, he, he, he dropped off. That's certainly true. Oh no, we lost him. <laughs> we lost him entirely. There are a ton of tie-ins. That's definitely <laughs> trust me. That is, you can find them all in in every gray hair in my beard. You can find each each tie-in has a gray hair. That's why there's so much right at my chin there. Um, I hope his computer didn't die. Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's pull list for comics. Some of them new on sale Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. I am Ryan Panagos, and I'm Tucker Marcus. Uh, we have a humdinger of an episode for y'all today uh we have a bunch of new comics some really great stuff uh hitting the comic shops and and the store the app store and we have part two of our big spider verse reading club uh so big so thick with web fluid that we had to do it over two episodes tucker before we get into that tell me something cool and exciting and new on your end of the world oh i'm just i'm so pumped to be knee deep in in web fluid once more i i i've been talking with coworkers here and there about like oh what's the longest like you've gone without like like leaving the apartment or whatever and they were like i don't know like 10 days or two weeks it was crazy and they were like what about you and i've been like I genuinely don't think I've left the apartment outside of taking the trash out downstairs. I haven't gone beyond the front door in two months. What, what do you eat? <laughs> Get those d- d- groceries delivered. Figured oh, it all out. You better I, be tipping them grocery delivery people well. Oh, trust me. Hey, if you can, then uh, absolutely, definitely big time, more than 20%, absolutely yeah. well-deserved kind of stuff. But yeah, some, you know, the first few weeks and like figuring it all out and having to go out more and more. And now I may be um, too well-adjusted to this. So I will be going out to the Shangri-La that is uh, New Jersey very soon to spend uh, maybe a week or so out at the old homestead. Nice. Very good. Uh, how are things going uh, in your neck of the woods? Going all right. My wife and I have been looking to buy a house since January, since before yeah. everything went awry. And <laughs> the last couple of months have only made it extremely hard to find the right house for the right price with all the things that we want. We put bids on two houses this week and we lost to both of them because some rich people had a lot of mo- a lot of money, a lot more than we did. Wow. Uh, but you know who does not need a new house? It's our friend, Black Panther, because our first book released this week is Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda, number eight. It is written by Jim Zub, and uh, it's got art by Lan Medina, inks by Craig Young, and colors by Marcio Menes, with VCs Joe Sabino doing lettering and production. The title of this story is Legion of Foom. Not only is that a wonderful uh, pun that I like, but is Foom, as in Fin Fang Foom, one of my favorite characters. This is a glorious tale. It's um, one that takes into account all of Foom's big, weird history, from the classic stuff to the recent things. And, it, like, you know, for all Foom heads like me, it is really super rad. Uh, look, even if you don't know who Fin Fang Foom is, if you're just like, I like big flying dragons and monsters, this is your jam. Tucker, you know, I, I don't know. How big of a Foomomaniac are you? Oh, I... I... I love Fin Fang Foom, if only just for the name. 
Like you're you're the kaiju guy uh, uh, between the two of us, no doubt. But just the ability to bounce those words around in your mouth is a delight. <laughs> Fade, fine, yeah. Uh, speaking it's right of- up there with Wade Von Grawbadger. Oh, Wade Von Grawbadger. Great colors. <laughs> uh, speaking of great kaiju movies, if you get a chance, you can go to the Internet Archive, archive.org. They have a lot of older uh, kaiju movies that are in the public domain. Frankenstein versus Baragon, also called Frankenstein Conquers the World, is like a 1966 uh, Toho kaiju movie. It, it fits into Godzilla continuity for all uh, you know continuity heads out there of Godzilla <laughs> like me, because uh, I am watching them all in order. Anyway, um, the this one is great because it posits that Frankenstein was real, that his body was captured by Hitler. Uh, They took his heart out, which never stopped beating. Hitler gave the heart to Japanese allies, and then it fell away after the war and then was resurfaced in the 60s. And the heart then gets put into like a boy's body or grows a boy's body. I can't remember the part of it, but it keeps growing and it never dies. And so it turns into a giant Frankenstein monster who fights uh, sort of Godzilla isk monster it's terrific it's wow. worth a watch tucker i'll tell you that much <laughs> and hey look speaking of the most crazy monster and monster adjacent stories with some of the most like out there takes but it somehow lands the next book we have this week is dr strange surgeon supreme number five the storytellers are mark wade and kev walker the colors are by java tartaglia and the letters are by vcs Corey pettit i loved this issue um this is maybe my favorite issue of this series so far if only because i think you know as with any character like at their best almost all marvel characters are wildly malleable and changeable and and can be so many different things at once and look this is a really cool kind of dark dimension dive for Stephen strange but it's kind of horror adjacent in a in a way it's kind of mystical and cosmic in the way that you might expect but it just hits so many different notes um in terms of like horror genres or horror subgenres, and then the kind of mystical side of it all that I just thought it was so well done and then includes like the great kind of just doctor stuff that that I think is just such a great grounding influence on this series in general um in this issue though we got Mr. Smile and Mr. Sulk all right which one are you absolutely Mr. Sulk no <laughs> doubt absolutely no doubt I I love these dudes that uh so good just like the classic you know uh laurel and hardy c3po r2d2 like one two punch of tall skinny guy and short round guy um that are just so awesome kev walker obviously taking care of r2d's you know he and he and mark work closely on on all of it but the design work going on in here is so awesome because somehow it treads this line of being just delightfully fun but also totally creepy and then you know like super dynamic and feels like a real journey at the same time like there is an expansiveness to this issue that i thought was really really awesome you know you you feel the weight of the moves being made here and you really get excited about where this is gonna go in the next as the issues continue uh but yeah this was so much fun and um 
uh, like kind of in 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 all that way that I explained is just like such a Doctor Strange book. Yeah, and Kev Walker just so good. This issue also may have the first time a Marvel character has said the word jejun uh, because Doctor Drew <laughs> Drew it just he's like scoffing at technology. He's like how jejun, and I was just like, this is the best. Friggin' Mark Wade, you nerd. I love it. Love it so much. Um, I also okay. loved Empire Number Zero, Fantastic Four, which is written by Dan Slott, art by R.B. Silva and Sean Isaacs, colors by Marte Gracia and Marcel Menes. Um, it's got letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, we've recently talked about Empire Number Zero, Avengers. This is sort of the like flip book to that in a sense. Where you mm-hmm. see how the Fantastic Four and the Avengers will come together through Empire. Uh, and this tells some really cool stuff. They introduce a new elder of the universe called the Profiteer. Uh, she's the sister of Grandmaster. She's um, she's like, you know, the uh, Terry Benedict, Andy Garcia character uh, in uh, Ocean's Eleven. You know, the, the casino owner who gets, uh, you know, there's some business going on and then sort of gets uh, taken for a ride, which is a lot of fun. Uh, And the Profiteer has the Casino Cosmico, which is just cool. This is like clearly Dan Slott being like, "Ah, I'm having a great time, blah, 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 making up fun stuff and and just going wild. Um, This also has some great terrifying little kids, one Kree, one Skrull. Stay tuned for more from them. I I know I've I've heard Dan talk about them uh, a lot, and so they're introduced here, and we'll see what happens with them. But this is just a super fun Fantastic Four adventure. It's got heart, action, hijinks, gambling, parenting, clobbering, kind of everything you want. It's it's a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, Next up this week, we have Ghost Rider number seven, which is written by Ed Brisson with art by Aaron Cooter, colors by Jason Keith, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I feel like this is an issue I could talk about for a really long time because I, I think it's it's funny reading it and having just talked about Doctor Strange, um, that Doctor Strange issue, because not just because this issue starts out at the Sanctum Sanctorum and with Doctor Strange involved, but because of how it moves from there. And it's this monstrous, mystic, you know, um, kind of demon like hell uh, throwdown in, in uh, you know, essentially Greenwich Village. But in the way that the Doctor Strange issue is a very specific sense of adventure and like a linear forward kind of movement that is like moving by leaps and bounds and it's really exciting in that way. This this issue certainly has that sense of story to it, no doubt. But the art, it's kind of uh, interpretive in a, in a really interesting way. It's presented, yes, with all the kinetic like fight scenes and really great character moments, but it also has this very you know gorgeous like auteur sensibility behind it where you get these beautiful tableaus you get these beautiful images that are just kind of classic comic books and even like classic comic book references built into it but at the same time like you get these moments that are just so beautifully presented ryan i know you were super excited to dive into this aaron cooter kind of master class here and i would totally agree i mean he he and ed launched this book together and when you're reading something like this you're just like oh yeah what a delightful pleasure it is to be able to read this kind of story because of the level that this entire creative team is playing out. It is something to behold. That's all broad, high-level stuff. We also have incredible Wolverine and Punisher stuff going on here. We have um, Danny, who has kind of been corrupted by the spirit of corruption. We have everything going on with Johnny and Doctor Strange is involved. It's really, really, really cool stuff. 
There's one panel in particular that I love with Wolverine where kind of Wolverine and Punisher are approaching the situation where you see Wolverine kind of stretching his neck in the background, like he's kind of getting fired up. It's just those little details um, that, you know, bring this book to the next level. This feels like a threshold moment for this Ghost Rider story in general. Um, feels like uh, a lot of things change in this issue and we're going to be propelled forward in a, you know, even faster and, and uh, kind of greater way. Um, but yeah, I love this one. I thought this was so, so good. Yeah. Aaron, I like Aaron is a friend. And so I'm slightly biased, but like I just he is the exact perfect thing that I love in in art is like the super detailed, super imaginative, very weird, but very clear storytelling like that, um, that like an Arthur Adams type in many ways, especially in like the length of his characters bodies. There's something about them. Um, It's so good. And his monster designs. Thinking about this issue and all the crazy monsters that he puts in this book, I want Aaron Cooter to do a Marvel monster manual, like where it's just a big book of every monster in the Marvel universe and just to see him show them off and do his thing. Man, it's so good. If nothing else, if you don't even care about Ghost Rider or the story or whatever, come buy this book for the art. It is worth it. It's just worth it. It's worth it, worth it, worth it. So cool. Yeah. Oh, also, Wolverine calls Dr. Strange Dr. Sparkles. So you have that as well. Uh, (laughs) It's a lot of fun. Uh, All right. We have Marvel's X number four out this week, which is a story by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. Script by Jim Kruger. Art by Well B. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I was very excited to get back into this. I really dig this story. Uh, And it pulled... This one has one of the deepest pulls for a book by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross, who are just like, oh, they're going to pull so deep. Most people won't even know, but I got it. They have a tiny little mention of it. Uh, and, and like It's like, oh, poor it. And it's this, in the background, on the impaled on the Empire State Building is a giant figure. And that is it, the living Colossus, a fairly obscure Kirby monster that first appeared in Tales of Suspense, then later became part of the Marvel Universe. Um, I was... Like in my notes, I was like, don't reveal what happens to it. But damn it, I already did because it was so cool and so weird and so like like part of this story and its darkness. Um, you got a Hawkeye in this story who has six arms, a mutated Craven, Luke Cage, who kind of like becomes a volunteer police officer because no one is helping anyone. And he's just like standing up for everybody because he's freaking Luke Cage and he's awesome. Uh, there's also a great sketchbook in the back with designs and art. Um, if you, I'll be honest, if you're not reading Marvel's X previously, you might be a little lost, but it's worth picking up the first three and number four because uh, we have, you know, there's only like eight comics out this week. It's really, really cool. Yeah, totally. And hey, speaking of books that uh, anybody could just dive right into and get immediately so engrossed, that we're talking next about uh, Strange Academy. Number two, it's written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. What we get into here with issue number two, as we go along with uh, Emily and Doyle and Shaylee and the entire crew on their first day of school at Strange Academy is we really start getting to know these characters better. And more than that, we get to know like on a meta level, like what what is this book going to be? What does this book want to be? Where is it going to play? You know, what's it going to bring to the table? And it's so much fun to just join these kids going from class to class, period to period, teacher to teacher, 
and kind of learning alongside them with all the madness and mystical strange stuff that they're dealing with all the time it's all of that wrapped in with so much excellent character work stuff that you of course would come to expect with a scotty young book uh and the way that it's all executed obviously by um one of the all-time greats umberto ramos is it's really a sight to behold i I, as i was reading this story it's hard to separate myself from what i know about the book but i feel like reading this anyone could be able to tell like wow they put so much work and thought into every single choice going on in this book from every line of dialogue through to every piece of art everything in the background every little tiny like piece of this watch that they're building here is so so beautifully done beautifully executed um and then what i thought was really fun is at the end there is a description of um the different classes that um students uh, take at the Strange Academy, which has just like a description of what you learn there, uh, who teaches it. Uh, it's so much fun. We've actually been talking a lot about that kind of like supplementary, like design, like material and things like that, and how just delightful and nerdy it can be, and just how like it's exactly what we as nerds and fans and readers like want it's just we want to dig into all those tiny little details and get to know it and just imagine that world it just fleshes it out even more beyond the story um but yeah like i said you know this is a a special book it continues to plant its flag and say this is what we're going to do here this is the kind of story we're telling these are the characters that we're going to continue to get to know uh and it is just a, a damn delight it really is. Uh, I, I want to give a little bit more shine on to Umberto. I remember there was a story that um, Scotty told earlier this year. It might have been at C2E2 or somewhere else, or maybe it was just telling me. Like Scotty mentioned that he had written a scene of Calvin, one of the new characters, one of the students. He's playing video games in his script. And, and he's just like, that was what he put in there. That was the description. And then Umberto comes in and Umberto drew it. So Calvin's magic jacket is playing video games with him that like because Calvin's magic thing is he has this magic jacket. So instead of just Calvin playing video games, it's Calvin playing a two player game. His jacket is holding the other controller and playing with him. And it's so smart and it's so funny and it's so thoughtful. And so like going beyond what like what you think of and it's why the collaboration here is so special this book is like packed with those kinds of details it is really wonderful stuff uh also wonderful but in very different ways is x-force number 10 written by benjamin percy art by joshua kasara colors by guru efx and letters by vc's joe caramagna there's a thing that happens in this issue to quentin choir that is bonkers and the way it's rendered both from josh's pencils and guru efx's uh colors it is something special that like the two of them together and i know um dean white has been on colors it's like there's really great artistic gelling going on here and just creative team gelling you can see how ben and josh just work so well together um it's so good uh there's the last scene I, i i will skip around like just bad stuff happens to people. Bad <laughs> stuff happens to people in this issue, and it is you can't help but want to watch and see what's going on. But the last scene, if you are a Logan gene shipper, this is your jam. Uh, the last scene, I was like, yeah, woo, yeah, give me more of that. I love Krakoa. Uh, it was great. I love this dark, twisted, weird, gorgeous book so much. 
Totally. And hey, speaking of something special, we're wrapping things up this week with X-Men God Loves Man Kills Extended Cut number one. It's by, of course, Christopher Claremont and Brent Eric Anderson with letters by Tom Orzachowski. Uh, this is um, obviously, of course, it's the all-time classic God Loves Man Kills. It is presented, though, here, the extended cut with some new pages by Claremont and uh, Brent Eric Anderson. It's so, so cool. Um, I think I'd read God Loves Man Kills once before, um, but diving back in here, um, the extra pages that they add, this kind of what seems like the, the start of a bookend here, um, are so, so fascinating. And the way that it re- reframes the story in a way, the way that it just demands your attention, it demands your attention to the fact, not just to the story, but to how... Uh, relevant this book is to this very day, how it has, you know, aged in in fascinating ways, you know, and then of course you just get the the delight of diving into some of the most classic X-Men stuff uh, ever made. Um, uh, but it's so, so cool, uh, you know, and obviously the story itself speaks for itself. Yeah. And for all you Claremont X-Men fans out there, uh, this actually, the new the new stuff, the framing sequence, ties into Chris Claremont's X-Men Black Magneto story from 2019. So um, it's, it's real neat. Lots of cool stuff in there. Tucker, what do we have for collections? Collections this week include Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer, Volume 7, uh, Immortal Hulk, Volume 2, Marauders, Volume 1, Marvel Monograph, The Art of Frank Cho, Marvel Spider-Man Poster Book, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, that's a new printing, Savage, Sword of Conan, The Original Marvel Years, Omnibus, Volume 3, and... Star Wars Legends Epic Collection Legacy Volume 3. And of course, we have new comics on Marvel Unlimited this week. Uh, some of the highlights include the first issue of Hawkeye Freefall, which is uh, a favorite of ours, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, the first issue of the new Star Wars series, um, The Web of Black Widow number 5, which wrapped up that limited series. Another issue of Spider Man and Venom Double Trouble, which I will continue to tell everybody to read that book, especially now that it's on Marvel Unlimited. Lots of good stuff. Of course, you get the full list of all the books that we're talking about on Marvel.com. Tucker, I think now is the perfect time to dive back in to Spider-Verse with our friends Nick and Ellie. Finally, we'll start talking about uh, Amazing Spider-Man number nine, which was on sale November 5th, 2014. Uh, of course, uh, written by Dan Slott, art by Olivia Quapel, colors by Justin Ponsor, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, editing by Nick and Ellie here on the show. And of course, Giuseppe uh, Camoncoli is on a story here and throughout. We, we see inks um throughout the story we see wade von Grubadger, cam smith and a ton of other amazing names uh but we've talked about that core team i always like to make sure we give credit to the amazing staff who, who puts absolutely these together um the one of the the fun things i loved about this one was spidey's butt uh he's like sleeping <laughs> naked and there's the the little caption box that's like uh you know it's spidey's butt don't look at it whatever the, <laughs> the exact language was but i just get such a kick out of that and <clears throat> olivier draws everything sexy like there is nothing that he draws that isn't sexy like oh yep. look at that bookshelf that is a hot bookshelf it's a hot everything bookshelf. is amazing and then you bring silk in in that first scene and the two of them 
even though even if you don't know what their story is, you can tell that there's something happening. I mean, I, like Ellie probably remembers this as well as I do. Like we had to modify the pages that you're seeing in this scene. Like there were things that we had to crop and change and have Olivier patch because it was even saucier the first time <laughs> than it is here. And those pl- those balloons weren't placed over his button panel five by accident. Like you know, like this is. This is like, like, we're like, Olivier, you've been drawing Marvel comics for like 15 years. You know, I can't print this. Like, he's like, why not? Why, we can try. Can we not try? Uh, and, and, and like, oh, geez. Uh, and so I'm sorry. I, I need to apologize to the fandom out there for, for pulling back the the amount of spider butt and uh, and all this kind of stuff that's you in did here. the right thing <laughs> I don't know Ellie it's a regret it's a regret I think part of the reason that Olivier's art is so sexy is that he really loves everything you know that he's drawing and when we had inkers come in um, to work with him we'd still get pages in where he had inked like one face he was particularly proud Mm -hmm. of and you know he just he he loves the art so much and i think that really comes through in what you end up seeing it's so great god just paging through it like it's just so fun to see this stuff and uh and and what choices like i mean dan dan is such uh like he tries to pack so much into every panel and then just trying to think of what Olivier is dealing with like so how many characters do you want me to put in this panel like uh, okay, I'll try and he and he did such a great job but like I remember like trying to get some of these captions to work and like uh, as Dan was trying to, to write the script after Olivier drew it of the first time we see Jessica Drew and Anya Corazon they're, they're little because they have to be because there's so much else going on on that page it's just <laughs> like oh my goodness uh, and then Ham when he comes in so good so good yeah, I, I love the different ways that Giuseppe and Olivier draw ham. And it's they're both like wonderful and weird and unique and just like they're they're terrific. Uh, as we get into the, the second issue, it, I reminded how much I miss Ultimate Jessica Drew. Oh, um, yeah. Just seeing her in this this story and like her as a clone of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe and how cool that was and how much fun that was seeing her there with Miles and everything that's all about the them oh man it's so good i mean and we touch on them and they, and and it's still on issue 1 like there's this there's a big scene when they arrive with all like the confluence of spider-mans and we spider-man spider-mans what the heck and uh and you and then one of the things that i love about olivier is that everybody looks different these are there are so many spider people and not only does he find a way to make each of these spider men and women distinct but even these multiple peter parkers like the one the captain universe spider-man uh, like his face is different than the Peter Parker face that, that he draws for the 616 Spider-Man. And it's this different, handsome, sexy guy. And, and, and you keep meeting these people and like, just what a gift, like what, what, what a talent and the, the amount of work that he does to do this is absurd. Um, and then in the backup story that Giuseppe Camuncoli drew, you, your first taste of a lot of these disparately such odd Spider-Man, like the ones from the cartoons and from the mangas and, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just so bizarre and fun. Um, now I'm going to catch up to you, Ryan. I'm going to go to, to issue 10. Let's see what comes to mind in this madness. Oh, so the cover to issue 10 with Superior Spider-Man, Olivier drew that one and the cover to 11 before he drew the cover to 9. We were having such trouble figuring out what, what exactly we wanted on there, but these were the covers we knew Olivier could draw. 
Uh, and it's just such a cool image of superior Spider-Man. Um, we get the graveyard. You see Spider-Punk for the first time of Earth 138 in issue 10. So that's where Olivia got to draw his guy. So who came uh, up with the Earth number for that one? Because that, to me, I'm, I'm assuming is a reference to the Misfits. Um, I, I believe it is. I think we had already started working on, I think that one we came, that may have been Jed McKay. So, so you'll, there's a, there's a spider punk story in, I think it's spider verse number two. And we'd already begun working on that. And so they started breathing some more light, but this had already been drawn by Olivier, like, you know, months before, but when, when it came time for Dan to script it, I believe that script was in and, and, and it could have been Dan, but I don't know how punk rock Dan slot is. Uh, that's why it makes me think that it's unless Ellie, unless you remember, like unless you knew about the misfits and came up with this. Nope. No, she's shaking her head. Uh, my guess is that it's Jed. Cause I'd hired Jed and Sheldon Vela to do that, that spider punk story. So that's my guess on that front is why we made it 138. Yeah. Oh man. It's so good. I, I forgot about that story. Cause I read the core, the core book and I started dipping in, but I had to pull back and not read everything, man. Yeah. I love this book. I love that story. So Sheldon good. and Jed together are magic. Oh, they're so good. If you're not reading Black Cat right now, or, uh, or, or I mean, they've done a, Sheldon and Jed did a couple short stories, but Jed has been writing more and more for us. And uh, the Daughters of the Dragon series that he and Travel Foreman did is also absolute dynamite. Uh, you got to check it out. Um, it, it's so good. Anyway, and you meet some more of the inheritors here, and, and you get to... Uh, some fun moments between different spider characters. And then you get the showdown about halfway through where I think this is the first time in the story you see Spider-Man noir uh, and Olivier drew him so cool. Like the, I don't remember other people doing quite as much with like the stitches on the top of his cowl, like the, the stitches on the top of his mask. I'm looking at a page right now that Olivier just did just nailed Spider-Man noir, but you get miles and noir and you see lady spider in the back there. Uh, and the um, Ashley Barton from old man, Logan, isn't there all on superiors team? And this was such a fun thing, fun scene to work on as we were trying to figure out, you know, what makes these two teams different? The one that's led by Peter and the one that's led by Otto. Uh, and Dan had so much fun working out the, the, the timing of who knew what about whom uh, at any given time of like, well, what is Otto? Like we, we would have these most mind bending conversations. I'm sure Ellie, you did too with him on this front. We're like, well, say, well, Otto knows this about Peter he thinks that it's Spider-Man from the past and it's not until later in the series that we find out that he dawns on him. It's such a huge moment that it turns on. But Peter knows this about Otto, but he can't say that. He, like, what can he say? Like, it's just this so, such weird mind. <laughs> but the thing that only happens when you're working on comic books, these conversations that you have. Because if Otto knows that Peter is after him, Otto knows he loses. And then what does that change about that story? Um, and... Then, you know, we got to send him time jumping, uh, which was a way to keep that character around longer, was mm -hmm. just, you know, delaying the time before he got back into his own story. So fun. And you get this big showdown with Deimos in this issue. You get the cool um, cybernetic Spider-Man with all the guns on him that get, that meets a quick demise. Uh, he looks so cool. Uh, you get Spider-Monkey we talked about before, and, and Deimos just rips him in half. Oh, it's just grisly um and then they, they they draw their first blood like you know superior basically kills deimos but then you turn the page and uh, all for naught like he's back already and you're like you, you can't even kill these guys who are more powerful than any of of the spiders 
and just ratchets up the tension. We kick off into our tie-ins. We find out who's under the mask of uh, Old Man Spider, who is Ezekiel, also from that original story. Uh, this, uh, this this other world's Ezekiel is just so cool. And of course, like you said before, Olivier finding so many ways to draw butts. Uh, every page gets you a new opportunity to draw butt. Well, you took one away from him, so he had to, true. you know, get, it, it was all vengeance. It's, he had a quota. He had a quota to fill. He did. Olivier's uh, love of butts is like Hydra. Take one away, two more shall appear. Yeah. <laughs> so good. As we go into then uh, issue 11 and start playing a little bit more with the kind of varying art styles and the like the realities that those demand and vice versa how does that filter in once we start you know seeing all of these different uh iterations and versions and and worlds well it, it, i mean who came into the story when was something that 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 dan was very careful about wanting to of course put the focus on the more established characters uh, making sure that it has in there, but also to ease into the insanity a little bit. I mean, he get your shot off the bow of Spider Ham, but like that's your first like okay, th- like in that first issue, you get Ham to to basically lay out like we're gonna go to some weird places, J- just so you know, like it's gonna be weird and goofy at times. Like this is the story you're in, just like to set the table. But then he saves more of that weirdness and goofiness uh, for as we get further into the story. Um, to make sure that we don't overload on that too fast. But, you know, we're always trying to be careful and on the interactions. I mean, in 11, you get the first, you get more interactions between uh, Spider-Gwen and Spider-Man of 616 of Peter Parker. And and those are things that we're obviously trying to be very careful about and make, making sure we handled as well as we could. Um, you've got him giving Miles a mission, and that, and that mission of Miles is really what gets us to the really fun crazy stuff because miles is the one who gathers the most uh odd spider people like he jumps right into earth 67 from that uh, spider-man cartoon now this was another thing that Mm -hmm. dan like i think in the time with ellie and steve before i joined the team like made sure that we could legally do like as spider-man 67 you know as like the biggest spider-man fan in the world dan slot was like we need him in the story and the way we did it he was so very very careful but having that married with like by this time, like the reason why Steve left the spider office is to go join Marvel animation. And uh, there's a nod in this issue too. Cause the, the Spider-Man that miles uh, goes and goes to Earth 67 with is we, and we brought him in in a team up issue, a spider spider verse team up uh, is the Spider-Man from the, what was the current Spider-Man animated series at the time, who has this little chibi Spider-Man that we meet briefly popping up. <laughs> and it's just miles like, what was that when that happens? Like it just, it was so fun. Um, but like, it was so important to Dan to have that in there to, to have access to that Spider-Man 67. Cause it was so formative. But again, looking at what Olivier and, uh, and, and J-Po, Justin Ponzer did with that scene with the 67, like is just a tour de force of artistic skill. Like it's the drawings, the, 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 the simplistic drawings that were necessitated to do an animated series in the 1960s were a reality. These are incredibly talented artists who had to simplify their art to such an extent and had such so many restraints. So Olivier understanding how to do that and Justin understanding how to color it, like it's not like it, it looks, they make it look easy, but it is not. Trust me on that. It's like when you hear about like, you know, like, I mean, Ellie and I are both theater and music theater nerds. And like anytime you have a 
professional singer who has to sing terribly for a part like it's <laughs> like it's hard work to do like it's hard work to do, like or i mean you hear stories about like you know, like like actors in, in movies like like it's hard to do things that that look more simple or that look more amateurish in what you're doing and they just handle that so well and the neat thing that dan did in bringing that in right before the story gets maybe it's darkest uh before uh the the big daddy solus uh which I thought was such a neat name that Dan did and spelled out soulless, you know, like without a soul and, but spelled it S O L U S. Like it's such a, a, a comic book, dumb, fun, clever <laughs> name. Um, but things get real and you see spider in the background for the first time. Um, Oh, you know what? Yeah. The, the, uh, we were talking about spider punk before it was definitely, cause I think Jed, I think Jed and Sheldon did the, the punk symbol that's on his back in this issue, it started when he first, when Olivia first drew him, he had the Union Jack on his back. But then, uh, oh no, maybe Olivia did that, but we, that developed as we did more and more spider punk stories. And now it has like a different spider on its back now, but it's just so neat. Nick, one can so have neat. multiple vests. He, he may have it's a closet true. of really cool vests. <laughs> it's true. What's that Simpsons line? Like, you know, like uh, the, 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 the big musical number with Smithers and with, Mr. Burns. With like, Burns. Oh, yeah. Try my vest, I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> my vest. Oh, see my Let's vest. My, see my vest. All right. Oh, gosh. And then, and then the threatened violence towards babies as in this issue. The um, uh, <laughs> the the Solus versus um, Captain Universe Spider-Man bums me out every time because that that fight it's like the optimism and the hope and it's just crushed and then that terrifying withered husk that is left is so brutal i i love that moment but man every time i read it i'm just like guys he was so cool (laughs) and it's just so deadly and it's just so cool um and and then Olivier, like this is another one. So that it, the, the little baby in this <laughs> is Mayday Parker's little brother, who is not a baby. We'd already drawn him, but for some reason we could not get on the same page with Olivier, who kept drawing it as like a, a three or like a four month old. We're like, this baby is at least two. Like this is a two year old. <laughs> and he, so we kept having Justin Ponzer add in hair and put clothes on it, and like and just like this is not so like it's just one of those things that you just can't. And we're so behind schedule at this point, but like it just. <laughs> the things you do for comics the things you do for comics that's something i gotta say i absolutely relate to because i couldn't tell you the difference between a one month old and a three-year-old i don't know what the hell they look like (laughs) i don't know i don't know when they start talking when they start moving around olivier's a dad olivier's a dad (laughs) he has kids yeah he has kids I think I remember yeah. you. Oh my <laughs> God, like, just I sent pictures of my, ch- of, of my daughter just, Lois, just... who is born, who has already born, and my son George, who is a baby. I'm like, like these are what two-year-olds <laughs> look like. Like, come on, it's just so funny. Amazing. Um, are, are we ready to move along to number twelve? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love the cover to twelve. This is one yeah. of my favorites of the whole. It's with the Inheritor family and their and their trophy room of spider heads mounted on the wall. I just love this cover so much that I had us revisit it for Hunted, our more recent 
<laughs> our more recent splatter story. Well, we pretty much did the exact same concept, but it works. It works. Yeah. I, I love this because I can't even pinpoint all the spiders on it. Like most of them yeah. I know, but there's like the one that's colored gold or the one with the weird horns um, or the one yep. on the top left. I can't because it's covered by the logo in the, in the you know, fully dressed version. Yep. I'm not so sure. So I think though the yellow one, I think it was like a phalanx. Uh, a spider. I don't think we ever met them in the in the story. The one above that is some weird like albino spider, I believe, if I recall. Um, the the horns. Deem- I think I just told Olivier like here are some you can include and just riff and we sent him all this reference and and I can't even also can't quite remember which of them are established and which aren't. But I think the phalanx one was. But yeah, just utter utter madness. Um, but the, I love that cover so much. And this is where uh, Giuseppe Camuncoli comes in to help us out and does such an amazing job and brings forth one of our favorite characters. And I can't wait to talk about this too. The emissary of hell, Supaidaman. And and this was my, first, when Dan put him in the story, this is the first I'd ever heard of this character. I did not know of Supaidaman before this. And, he, and he even wrote them like emissary of hell. What are we even talking about? He's like, <laughs> this is, he's like, Nick, you need to watch this right now. And so this is a, a crazy one. I mean, I, you know, I always joke, you know, my bar association membership has, has, has passed and is null and voided. I'm not a, a, I can't practice legally anymore. I was never a lawyer. It's just a, something I'd say, <laughs> but uh, like the legal ramifications of some of these characters. So this is one that we got permission to use to Supaidaman and Leopardon, like right when we started working on it at the, you know, at the beginning of, I think it was like we were in 2013 at the time, maybe 2014. And, uh, and um, it was beginning of 2014, and but by the time this came out and after it was in there, I got a call from legal. They're like, "Wait, Superman and Leopardon are in this in this book?" I'm like, "Yeah, here's the email where you give me permission." Oh, yeah, we shouldn't use him anymore. Uh, and it's like so since then we've had different like the the legal stuff changes so often and it's just so funny. Uh, but like including him here was just incredible. I'm so glad we got to do it, and uh, and Camo just did such an awesome job with this big battle. Yeah. And this also has, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. One of my favorite shots, it's when we cut back over to Miles's yep. team and um, Miles is in the passenger seat of the sentient Spidey buggy with the ultimate Spider-Man driving. It looks like a Chris Russo Spider-Man hanging on Yeah, uh, uh, that one. And then you've got the cowboy Spider-Man with the um, also the the spider horse next to them and then you got 67 spider-man like that is one of the wackiest most amazing panels in the and, whole and series. i and i can't remember if we ended up putting it like it was something that that as dan would tell it steve had always made verboten to dan as they're prepping for this story is that and i can't remember if i let him have it in the end uh, i was like I'm, I'm fine with that that's the difference between me and steve but did do in your reread ryan did we hit on because I, I i missed it in my reread uh did we talk about what the spider buggy's name, alter ego's name is? Does that get mentioned? No. Oh, it doesn't. Do you want to hear it? Or the thing that, that Steve forbade <laughs> that Dan like took as, as wrote, even after Steve had left. Oh my gosh. Yes, of course. It's a uh, Peter parked car. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go guys. See you later. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Ryan actually left. He's gone. <laughs> uh, but that panel is is such a delight, and I think there is even supposed to be a, a, a Amigo, the first Spider-Man toy, in that panel on the dashboard. I don't think it made, or it's in a different scene. Maybe I'm trying to remember right now. But that was always such fun 
Madness. Oh, good. Ryan's back. He, he came back. Visual gags on a podcast. My favorite thing. Yep. They always work. Always work. Um, it's awesome. Oh, and then there's, <laughs> and then there are the things you're like, did they work? The story decisions you make, did they work or did they not work? Who knows? I, I think it sort of worked. We we get introduced in this issue to the scrolls, the 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 uh, the scrolls with the prophecies about the the bride, the scion, and such. And and these scrolls come in and they're super fun. And and they're uh, that's one of the things I like. I'm like, dear God, I hope this works. As, as part of your story, you're not quite sure, but it, ends, it, it leads to a fun one next issue when there's only one person who can read them uh, that, uh, that is a person who hadn't had any big moments yet. And it's just a testament to Dan's imagination where uh, at least that's what I remember, Ellie. I don't know if you recall if it was something that we had helped him with or, or done. But as we find out next issue, there's one person with more experience with totems than anybody else. And that's Anya Corazon, Spider-Girl of, of the 616. Um that is just so fun. Yep. There's also, we see, I, we, I've, I've almost brought up several times talking about this whole thing. I think this is the issue where she dies. Uh, there's this one character and I'm, I'm blanking. I'm, I need to go back to my notes. There's a character with the skimpiest, uh, a female spider character with the skimpiest costume of all, who's got a spider mask and wears little else that every artist drew over and over again in this story, and then even in Spider Geddon, when they happen upon, it, I'm like, no, we, she died in in, in Spider Verse. Uh, like she can't be in this one, but they all love drawing. Like she's just the skimpy clothed Spider Woman character, just like okay, guys. <laughs> so I I looked at her and I imagined she was a pro wrestler in her universe. So I was like, well, that would be awesome. You know what? The outfit, the gimmick, it could kind of all work. You you could find that as a possibility. She was a previously established character. I know that like yeah. that was she was someone who had, was I think in a what if I, again I've, I've probably got it in my files here but I'm sure there's so many spider fans who are like you are an imposter Niccolo you are an imposter and you're right you know we were talking about that um, this Uncle Ben moment that ends it was a, another huge huge I think that Dan had it was like so much of the story just turned on it uh, and the axle of, of, of that story of, of that you know of that story and it's just so neat um when we get into the the next episode, which is part five, um, issue number thirteen, there's you know we're we're sort of like it's almost a cool down in a couple places. We're like establishing a couple things, but one of my favorite pages of the whole um, event is the conversation page between Spider-Man's UK and India, where uh, yeah they're having this conversation because you know Spider-Man India is sort of like oh, I don't this like makes me question everything I am and, and who I am. And then Spider-Man UK is just like, but don't you like you, like the way he explains it and the heart to it is so perfect and sweet and wonderful. So Spider-Man India is one of the Spider-Man that I knew the best coming in here. Cause I actually worked on the Spider-Man India book that we did. I think it was in 2003, uh, 2004, something like that. We, we worked in coalition with uh, an Indian publisher, in, in in creating Pavatir uh, uh, Prabhakar and Uncle Beam. Uh, and I also love this scene so much. It's another one that Dan had in his head and that he, he wanted to tell so bad because he loved UK and Spider-Man India. And if you like this, uh, if, if readers out there haven't read um, Edge of Spider-Geddon, uh, we follow up on this relationship because these two go on to star in Web Warriors together. And... Throughout that, Mike Costa wrote much of that, but there were two characters that Jed McKay latched onto very much. And when he was writing some stuff from Edge of Spider-Geddon, 
that, that he wanted to draw on this relationship as it moved forward. And it was just something that I, I love how that stuff happens when it passes from creator to creator to creator. And it just depends on like you were talking about before what people are interested in and, and, and how all that, all that works. Um, but Uncle Ben Spider-Man, I love just someone who who lets tragedy, who does something that, or that Peter Parker hasn't, who lets tragedy define his life and lets the tragedy and sadness define and choose his next choice. Um, and, and that was so, such a, an incredible moment and such an incredible and understandable thing to do. Uh, but it's just one more thing that just goes to show like who Spider-Man is and, and how he operates and why he is, you know, the greatest fictional character of all time, um, bar none. But I, it's one of the things that I, I love about this, this story in this series that always was a big part of why I love it so much. Um, you get your moment where Spider-Girl on your core zone, um, can read the scrolls, these insane scrolls that Camo drew. You get you cut back to Loom World for the madness that's happening there. Oh my gosh! It just so this story went into such crazy as the bigger it got into such crazy fun directions. Um, the the bit with Kane this, is from it has its origins in the other, like the storyline. The other is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the last time we saw Moreland and you know after Peter was no longer the other, it was Kane is the other, and that was a huge part of the. And Ellie can t- probably talk better about this. It was a huge part of that Scarlet Spider series too, right? Yes, yeah. So um, we had kind of Kane had been in his own book for a while, and then um, Dan wanted to kind of nod back to the potential that had been set up with the other and then Kane had been on his own journey so with cool. it and this was bringing and the, that and, back into and the so that was story. we had our, our Scarlet Spiders uh, tie-in miniseries that, that led up to this moment where like again you saw them in number 10 they zig out of the story and you, we touch on them in 11 and 12 and it's in 13 that they come back into the story uh, for the, the, the book endy part of that um, for this insane these insane scenes when he turns into the the other and 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 takes down solus uh but but it meets his own tragic end and it's just so crazy gwen gets swarmed by goblins um and you finally get your let's go everybody let's go set up the final battle the let's do this moment as I always like to call it, the the the, the it's it's the you you either end with your heroes in a really bad shape, or you like in a team book, you either end with your heroes in a bad shape, or you end an issue with like everyone about to go mess up some bad guys, and I I love that, and and I recall and and the the next issue page of this one was one of those that I can't remember if if we didn't want to spoil with that cover, or I literally think we didn't have that cover in because Olivier was drawing it or Camo was drawing it. And we didn't, I think Olivia was drawing it. We didn't yet have it in by the time we were sending this one to press. Cause we'd solicited with the, cause we, every month we'd have two issues and we solicited with the other one for that month. And, and this is the classic, uh, this thing that I love to do. And I'm, I think I did on X-Men books for this, like every Spider-Man and like, put big blocky text on this instead of a cover and you're fine. You just, you just keep moving. Um, but setting up for the, 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 the last issue, Olivier and Giuseppe teamed up on this last issue, uh, both doing about half. I think Giuseppe ended up doing a little bit more than half, but you get to some of these truly insane moments, but every, every storyline comes together. So many different characters, but you get your moment, the naked pig moment, Ryan is in here. (laughs) 
Picking a blanket. Picking a blanket. <laughs> and how do you top that? How do you top that? It's, and it's so weird looking. Naked Spider-Ham is so weird looking. <laughs> like It's so troubling. Part of it is the hair. Part of it, yeah. like the the disturbing aspect, is just that little, like the bit of hair on his, the top of his head. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I I'm just so uh, you know with any final issue, it's for me with any story, with any book I read or 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 movie that I watch or anything, it always comes down to like something can be so excellent into the to, till the very end, and it's about that note that you're left on. Um, uh, and, and I guess, you know, with the story as expansive and dramatic, but also so funny and just so varied as this one, it kind of asks to be this complicated ending. It asks to be this, you know, kind of melancholy, kind of like, you know, not a, certainly not a definitively like, yes, kind of like, you know, everybody's great at the end of the tale, story um uh so i'm just curious about um how much of that is dictated by the th- this event in and of itself and how much of that is just dictated back to where we started this conversation by the fact that this is in the amazing spider-man uh, uh, uh main series and we have another story to tell like even after the epilogue and so you can't satisfy everything perfectly how much of that is all part of the math here I mean, it's it's always hard. Ending stories that are part of these long-told stories is, is always a challenge to find a way to make it satisfying and yet leave the door open. It's one of the things that's beautiful about these stories and 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 difficult, too. Um, and, and especially as you're running out of room, as Dan Slott is always running out of room, <laughs> as almost every writer is always running out of room, uh, just because they, they have so many ideas, and, and you know, which sets up for the epilogue here, and, and you need it just because... The best, even the best laid plans. You know, like we started working on this series so long before. But no matter how hard long you plan, I mean, every comic book is a miracle, as we always talk about in the office. Like the fact that any comic exists is a miracle. The fact that any last issue of a giant story is a double miracle, like like a double rainbow all the way um, across the sky. And uh, it, it like th- like this one was no exception. Like we were down to the wire, down to the wire. Um, and, but I'm so still so proud of how it ends. And, uh, it, it, to me, this ending feels a little bit like a Hitchcock movie where like, like you have this like incredibly exciting thing and then you have like a page to wrap it up. So it's like, like in North by Northwest, they finish the battle on, on uh, Mount Rushmore. And then like she plops down in a train car and they go into a tunnel and it's done. You're done. That's the end of the movie. Like you're like, Oh geez. Like that's, it's just so fast. That to me is like, it happened. This also happens so fast. Uh, and luckily we have an epilogue to come, but I, I, I think even just standing on its own with this issue, I, I think it's so, it, it's so fun and so neat to see, uh, you know, how, how it all came together, um, in, in such a, a, a pleasing way. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, let's dive real quick into the epilogue because it's, it sort of gives a little finality, but also sets off on a bunch of things. I mean, you know, Web Warriors, which was such a fun book. Um, new status quos for various characters. Mayday gets a nice happy ending. Um, reveal about, you know, Karn and so many various things. Um, what's Julia Carpenter up to these days? 
Ooh, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but there's uh, you also get uh, Mayday's boyfriend finally makes uh, makes another appearance that Dan. <laughs> it was all very comes back about. around. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they are. Sometimes, Sometimes boyfriends are, are around. It, they're unpredictable at best. At best, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, Julia Carpenter. Uh, there there is some stuff coming up rather soon, Ryan. Rather soon. Uh, you know, la- when last we saw her, it was. Uh, it was in Spider Geddon, I believe. No, no, it was in Clone Conspiracy. Uh, it was in Clone Conspiracy when we had a Prowler miniseries, and she was in there as Madam Web, uh, which you know that happened during that awesome Craven story uh, about the Craven family that Joe Kelly wrote and and had some amazing Marco Cacetto and Michael Larkart. Um, that's where they established her as the new Madam Web. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for some some Madam Web coming up in some spider stories somewhere. I don't want to spoil it, um, but there's some great stuff coming up there. But the Web Warriors was another, you know, I think that was even that idea of that name was I think Dan's to begin with too. But that was such a delightful series to work on and establish. Um, Mike Costa and um, David Baldeon launched that as well. But you get these. There's some incredible. The, the, in this um, in this issue, you get this the 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 Otto moments. There's so many incredible Otto Octavius moments in this issue, where he gets the the knife and he starts cutting up the web of life and destiny because he has figured out, like Ellie mentioned, he has figured out that he lost, and so he is trying to tear it all down to make it so that won't happen. Uh, and you get this cool moment with Jessica Drew and Peter Parker fighting against Otto. You get Karn becoming the new Master Weaver. You get um, this great fight and these great moments where we finally tie it together. And you get Giuseppe Camuncoli drawing like Ryan Stegman for a couple panels because Ryan drew the the issues of Superior Spider-Man where <laughs> where Doc went in and out of that story. You get him, you get Giuseppe doing his best Stegman uh, for a couple panels. You get Billy Braddock learning that his universe is gonzo. Dunzo, Dunzoni, because right after this story, we were leading up to Secret Wars. And that was the incursions happened. And so during this story, while Billy was out of his universe, there was an incursion and his universe was gone. So just Dan, like Dan is, is so fun to work with in so many ways. But one, he loves collaborating with people. He loves getting in on big stories. I mean, sometimes he doesn't love it as much as others, but uh, like, like anybody, but he will always, he loves the fact that it's a Marvel tapestry and he loves playing with that. And that is kind of such a magical magical element here that he was like yeah of course i'll nod to to secret words like this are, there's a cool way to we, we're doing this alternate universe story with this other alternate universe story coming in it makes perfect sense to to dovetail them together here and it was such a, a neat moment and we're like we still had at least six months i believe if not longer between this and secret wars um but he's like let's put the we'll plant our flag so they know we're coming um there's and there's and we're still not done. There's still more stuff going on in this issue. Like you get the moment where uh, the the husk Kane's dead body, where you get a hand thrusting out of it. And like, Whoa! What is happening? Uh, and, and that the fact that that was only one panel. He wanted that to be like I think a two page sequence. But once again, like in the hierarchy of needs and priorities for the issue, he's like I, I can only give it a couple panels. And that to me is also comics in a nutshell like you, you've got real estate that you've gotten you not every scene can have the breath that you might want to give it and uh and it's so neat they jump back to the universe and of course because you're dan slot 
you make sure you save yourself some real estate to remind you who Spider-Man is and to ground you back in the real world, quote the air quotes, real world uh, of, of Spider-Man for this great little moment where he stops a, a purse snatcher. I wonder. I I I I wonder if anyone out there has counted up the amount of purse purse snatcher scenes that Dan has written because I I can pinpoint at least four or five of them myself from just the time that Dan and I were working together. Um, he loves a good purse snatcher scene. That's the thing that I exactly wanted to touch upon with both you, Nick, and Ellie. Just kind of get your 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 general thoughts on that because. We see all the time that used as a method to kind of, exactly like you said, Nick, to, to, to bring us back down to earth because these stories can get so complicated, so out there, so wild, so many different, just absolutely, you know, like so unique to comic books, different stories and things like that. Um, but, you know, this is the same kind of way that Dan ended, you know, his run with that aforementioned issue he did with Marcos Martin. I remember Chip Zdarsky did one with Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, this amazing um, standalone issue that is just about the simplicity of this character, of his role in New York City, um, of what he does for his kind of just fellow citizens. What are your thoughts on why that is so often a thing that we see and and really beyond that why it's why it's so impactful i wish i could say that this was like a moment of editorial brilliance or like nope dan we got to remember to do this like it, it, it certainly was it, it, unless i'm remembering completely wrong and i'm way smarter than i than than i think i am uh th- this was something that dan it was necessary for him that he knew he had to do we've just been in a multiversal story and next month we're not going to be in there again. And this is still a Spider-Man story. And we have to remind you, remind the reader who Spider-Man is that even after he, he's been through this, even after he's been through one of the most exhausting adventures that he has, if somebody needs help, Spider-Man's going to help them. And if no matter how tired he is, no matter what he needs, it's got to happen. And, and it's like, I, we need to save room for this moment. It's not enough to wait for next issue. It's not enough to do that. Like you have to remember who Spider-Man is and what he's doing and, and, and like at a core and to, and to ground it so that when you go to your next issue and you're not in the multiverse, it makes sense. And so you get the, a clean start in your next issue. Um, and, and the fact that he does it in a page and like with, with a lot of line, I mean like this, uh, here we go. Like the, here's some dialogue. I got to open in front of me and, and here, you know, the, here's the, the, the dialogue. giant robots talking animals battles across the multiverse is all Spider-Man captions man how can I possibly go back to dealing with the small stuff now that I've help stop thief oh who am I kidding for me there is no small stuff I mean come on yeah. come on yeah. like that is so good like that, that that is so good and and then he takes a pot shot at Spider-Man which is like also so good but like there is no small stuff like that, like that could be a whole issue devoted to that, but he gives it to you in four and three. That's just three panels. The first three panels of this scene uh, of this page. And it's, it just shows a, a master at work. You know, it just shows a master at work. Yep. At the end of the day, he's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And you've always got to bring him back to that. You, you've got to bring him home so that he can set off on the next adventure. And not to jump too far ahead, uh, but with the issue you guys were talking about that ended Dan's run, 
um, that's such another lovely example of that, of, you know, you go through this huge, you know, story to kind of bring everything to a conclusion and then you get 801. And it's just it's it's this nice little, you know, friendly spider and, neighborhood uh, spider. And that, story. We, that could be a whole nother episode of this is talking. You could grab the, the one one off one shot issues that Dan has written uh, like throughout his run, several with Marcos. Uh, several other like, there's a, a great goblin one that he that greg smallwood drew leading up to the red goblin story there, there's uh, like just paging through there's so many great little one-offs that uh, that dan probably w- w- we all wish that we could have done even more of those uh just because it, it's it's so in dan's wheelhouse and he's so good at those too um but uh just so fun just so fun oh yeah there's one final question that i have for you both nick you alluded to it earlier it's kind of it's a question that demands to be asked for me. We're talking about the legacy of this story. We're talking about what makes it so good, what makes it, you know, you know, stand out as one of the best Spider-Man stories in recent years. What was your re- what were your reactions, Ellie and Nick, when this story goes on, Nick, like you said, to inspire Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? Then Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is an incredible landmark film in its own right, and then Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse wins an Oscar. How do you react to that, having been on the ground floor of this whole thing to start with? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to remember exactly when Spider-Verse came out, because it was either right before or right after I came back to Marvel. Um, mm. So for me, I think it, it was, was December 2018. A- if I recall. Okay. So it was right before it was right before when I, when I knew I was headed this way, but, uh, had not yet gotten back here. Uh, so, um, I remember very much sitting in the theater and having it be this homecoming kind of experience of, you know, I, I love this so much and I love everything that they did with it. And the movie, I mean, the the movie was astonishing and, you know, but being able to see all of the like little pieces of stuff that they did, um, that kind of found its way in and, um, also to see the places where they made decisions that, you know, I mean, it was a very different story, but where they made very cool decisions that, you know, were different than the decisions that we made um, is always is always a fun part of watching something translate to another medium. And then in terms of it winning the Oscar, I think that the Oscar speech um, will will probably be a quote that goes down in history about the fact that anyone can be Spider-Man really is the takeaway of the story. It's so true. It, it, I mean, it was madness. I Again, being on the inside, we don't really get to see much. You know, like the the movies are something very se- like you know separate in ways from the comics. We we try to be ten years ahead. We try to throw out as many cool ideas for the people who make the movies to kind of pick up and run with, and that's that's the kind of fun of it. And every now and again, we get to see some inside stuff. And I remember getting shown uh, a couple images. One was Ghost Spider, aka Spider Gwen. Uh, like some shots of her, what they're doing. And then one was a turnaround of the spider suit and they revised it. But before they revised it, they did a whole animation test with the, the suit as, as uh, uh, Gerard and Jake Wyatt designed uh, before, you know, moving to their own, you know, take on it. But like seeing those characters there, it was just mind blowing. And, and, and to be, to be able to be a small part of the foundational aspects of that, is a great gift of life. 
and a great testament to, again, artistic collaboration and people picking up on things and doing things with them and finding their own ways in. And just we're all part of this great tapestry and, you know, getting to play in this in this like with this toy box of characters has been such a gift and getting to see. I mean, and, and like you said, anyone could be under that mask, Ellie. Like, I love how much they gri- gripped onto that. And, and, and played with that and then like into spider sonas and everyone drawing what they would be as spider people and then we we touched on it with our spider verse uh, a, a mini that we just did and in, in getting to you know we 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 ran some of those spider sonas in the back of there and, and getting to play with that in a fun way uh, like and we're, and it's not done yet there's another movie of that coming out and and there we do new comics all the time we have uh, the miles morales spider-man comic that we do is one of my favorite things i work on uh, Saladin Ahmed, Javier Garon, now Carmen Carnero, uh, are, are some of the coolest stories and most harrowing things. So Miles is such a great character, but all these characters, like you know, like it's hard, it's hard not to fall in love with them. Spider Punk, when when a creator pours their heart into it. I mean, Robbie Thompson and Silk Ellie cast him on there after you know loving some of his episodes of Supernatural, as I recall, and and getting to work with Robbie on some of this stuff on Silk and on Spidey. Uh, and on um, like things like even things like Meet the Scrolls that aren't Spider-Man related, and uh, uh, like it's any time a creator pours their heart and soul in into something, whether it's in a comic book or anything, it's just it's just magic. It's it's, it's just magic. Well said, and uh, thank you too for joining us. Uh, this was great. It was ho- what I wanted and hoped for, and so much cool insight. Thank you guys for letting me stories. crash in from another and, universe. Um, this was I a lot of all fun. Of our listeners, Enjoy getting to learn a lot more about Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse. Ellie, thank you for joining us. So good to talk to you about (laughs) Spidey stuff again. It's been too long. That was the best. You made this. Thank you so much. This is such a... Tucker, Ryan, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Webheads. Oh, thank you guys both. (laughs) Go grab a Spidey comic. (laughs) Flip, 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 flip. Thank you once again to Nick Lowe and Ellie Pyle for their time in breaking down one of the most legendary stories of the past 20 years here at the House of Ideas. Spider-Verse! Uh, I, I thought you were going to try and avoid saying it. Well done. <laughs> you know Great what? job I there. Good pronunciation. I, I had to. You know, until next time. Until the next time we have somebody else to break it down and talk about it. Um, Got to get that one out. Yeah, and that is a wrap. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by me, Ryan Panagos, along with Tucker, Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and MR Daniel. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and aw, Brad Barton is now officially Marvel Pull List audio development manager. Brad, we're so proud of you, little guy. Feels like you are hiding under our table, listening to us record the podcast just yesterday, and now you're here doing whatever development manager does yep. <laughs> grow up so fast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.